You're listening to the Conversations Podcast, brought to you by Cypress Creek Church. Our identity is wrapped up in who others tell us we are, whether that's successful or whether that is defined by our failures. And so for me, going back to security in uh, whose I am, in my identity, has really been the key piece of that. Welcome to the Conversations Podcast, kicking off a new series, and I'm joined by two special guests to unpack it. First, we have Crosslight Pastor JD. Thanks for being here, JD. So glad to be here. And we have Lead Pastor Jose Evero with us. Good morning, Taylor. Thank you all for being here. Jose, kicking off a brand new series this week focused on created in God's image. But I'd love for you to even just start by unpacking a little bit about your thoughts about picking this series. Mm -hmm. Why is this important to us and why do we need to hear it now? So since recording the Conversations podcast, we've been doing this for over a year now. You've asked this question every time. And so now I've actually incorporated this question as I begin this series because I do think it's a great question. And the... Quick answer is very similar to the one that I gave yesterday, that we are coming off of God is love, where John at the end says, keep yourselves from idols, um, and then he he finishes. And so I started digging into idols, and and we know what an idol is. It's anything that takes us away from from God. So anything that draws our attention, our affection, um, that could be uh, an actual God uh, or that our society calls God, but it could be other things like uh, ourselves. We can be an idol or work or um, all other stuff, social media. So anyway, um, how to deal, in order to deal with this, it really brought me back to the beginning that we are made in the image of God. So there aren't any idols in the Old Testament. In Hebrew times, there weren't any statues of God or anything like that because we are the ones that bear the image of God um, and are called to worship Him. So I think that the bottom line is we need to know how God sees us and we need to see others the way that God sees them, which is really what we unpacked yesterday as we looked at the biblical worldview. Yeah, and so we're going to jump in here, particularly in Genesis 1, and then you looked at kind of this week, uh, verses 26 and 27, just talking about being made in God's image. And so I think, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there that you did yesterday, I thought a good job of, but just understanding creation and just this idea that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so I'd love to just kind of first ask both of y'all, what are some maybe things that get in the way of you fully embracing that? So these are messages we've, if you've been in church for a while, you may know that, you may have heard that verse growing up as a kid, that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And yet there are still, at least in my life, so many times I act out of insecurity or act out of um, just the the disconnect there and truly embracing that as far as just even starting from the beginning that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Jose, your point, first point was just that we are wonderful. And not only that, but that other people are wonderful. And uh, yes, there is sin. And we're going to talk about that in a second, but just at the beginning in the way that God designed us. So we we, we get that, but, but how, how do both of y'all live that out? How do you know that? And just even remind yourself of that amidst uh, culture and even just maybe people around you that are maybe saying otherwise. So that's why we're talking about it here. Uh, that's why we talked about it on Sunday morning. This is who God says that we are from from the very beginning. He made us with a purpose, but he also made us unique. So I have certain characteristics. Yeah, you, you, called, you talked about insecurities. I have certain things that I'm insecure about. Uh, but ultimately, I believe that God made me the way I am for a reason. Not only to show off how 
diverse he is and unique I am, but also to use me as I serve God and love others. So um, I think recognizing that my purpose ha- is, is God um, intended helps me see things from a different point of view. We live in such a performance-based culture that oftentimes our view of ourselves, are, and I won't say of ourselves, I will say of me, my view of myself is dependent upon my performance. And that is the way in which we recognize accomplishment and failures. All of those things are individual. And so oftentimes the way in which we see ourselves or understand our identity is wrapped up in who others tell us we are, whether that's successful or whether that is defined by our failures. And so for me, going back to security in uh, whose I am in my identity has really been the key piece of that. And like relying on the fact that I was created, I was created intentionally by a loving and caring God, not some distant, far off God, but by a personal God who knows me intimately has so much to do for me to hit the correct button when I am living out of my insecurities or things of that nature. Yeah, that's good. We'll hit each of these four in a second, but just even with this one, what does this practically look like? So we talk about, you know, remembering, we want to know that, yes, I know that I'm wonderful, that God made me. And yet, like we've all mentioned, there's still these insecurities, there's still these things that we act out of and maybe something that we just can't quite shake. And we just feel like we just keep resorting back to the same insecurities or the same lies about who defines us or what defines us. So what are maybe just some practical ways that y'all live this out in your lives as far as just this first concept of knowing that you are are wonderful? Yeah, I may be reiterating this over and over, but uh, we, I tend to always go to the to the fall as first. So I, I send something wrong and I'm like, of course, because I need Jesus because I'm a sinner. Uh, and so this is really one step before then. So recognizing that the order uh, that God gives us in the Bible is that first he created us to be in relationship with him and he created us wonderfully. So this verse in Psalm 139, before we ever did anything, God saw us, God loved us. Mm-hmm. We were fearfully and wonderfully made before we've, yeah, we've accomplished nothing, you know? And so the fact that he first calls us wonderful um, helps me recognize like, man, I can take a breather here and and receive that from the Lord and then figure out, okay, how am I missing this? So that's moving forward to how am I falling short? And then how is God coming for me in, in those things? So recognizing that first he mm-hmm. uh, says we're wonderful. Okay. So does that look like uh pulling up scripture? Is that look like oh, yeah. meditating yes. or like what, what are some of the things as far as to just to get you there as far as reinforcing that? Yes. Yes. To those things, please <laughs> read and pray and let's talk about that. Um, I think simple, very profound ways, taking a deep breath and resting, um, which again is all part of this chapter. So um, I'm curious what you guys think. I know for me, when I was in college, I I had the guy who was discipling me was really, really good about um, contemplative prayer methods. And so oftentimes we believe and are raised that prayer is us talking to God, bringing things before God. And that more contemplative stream of prayer is oftentimes very uncomfortable for us because it relies on silence. And so it goes against the nature and the way in which we were taught to pray. And so for me, what my discipler did is uh, say I was working through an issue and I would take that root insecurity and I would just lay it before God. 
and say, God, I feel this way. Mm-hmm. And I would say, God, what do you have to say to me about that? Is that true? And then I would just sit and I would receive. And I would sit for as long as it took until I felt like the Lord gave me clarity on the way in which he saw me. And sometimes that was uh, simply the remembrance of a word that somebody spoke to me that was kind. And it was, and it helped draw me back to the way in which the Lord saw me. And sometimes it was, I would have a picture that came to mind uh, that, that would remind me of my identity and the fact that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And, and those sorts of things have really become a hallmark of those dealing with those insecurities, dealings with those identity issues for me is, God, this is how I feel tell me, is that, how do you see me? And then just sitting and inviting the Holy Spirit in and receiving from him, which feels like this grand mystical experience. But I think it truly, when we embrace the fact that God does want to show us uh, how he sees us, then we can sit in those moments in silence and understand that he is faithful to, sh- to speak truth into our life of how he sees us. That's so good. I Think about how many times Jesus withdrew from the crowds, yeah. withdrew from the disciples yeah. to be with God. We don't know what he was doing. Mm-hmm. We don't know what type of contemplative prayer methods he was using or whether he was reciting scripture or whether he was just silent the entire mm-hmm. time. Um, but we knew that he withdrew. And so I agree totally. And thank you for sharing your personal uh, take, J.D., because that's incredibly helpful. Um, and, and I think withdrawing just taking a break from your normal flow of things and just being alone with the Lord to think about this. Yeah, I would just add a few personal ones too. I think about um, just a compliment from a friend is nice and makes my day maybe, but just thinking about who God says I am and just the truth in his word. And so Mm -hmm. for me, it sometimes just looks like there's either lists online or even maybe just some books or something that just go through. And it's just, it's just scripture after scripture of who God says that I am in him. And Mm -hmm. so sometimes it just simply looks like, you know, in that time of rest and just kind of isolation from just me and God. And I'm just sitting there and I'm just reading over these and I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, this is who I am in him. Um, Because sadly, I'm not going to, you know, pull up the internet and that's going to pop up, you know, a social media is not going to be like, oh, here's who God says he is. You know, it's like, no, I got to look for that and really kind of meditate on each of those verses. And then also surrounding myself with people that I can be honest with, not fishing for compliments, but, but simply just saying, hey, I'm having a hard time really feeling like, you know, God loves me right now or that God sees that I'm wonderful and just being around gifted people with the gift of encouragement that are able to speak life into that and just remind me of scripture themselves. I think just even just in practical ways for someone that's struggling with, you know, yes, I know in church that I'm wonderful, but how do I really feel that in the moments of just pain or just in the moments of um, just kind of feeling down and sad and worthless to really begin to kind of cling to those truths that are unwavering, that are in God's word that that he says that I am. So I'll just tag on on those extras, but let's jump over here to the the second one here, which is the fall and just this idea of recognizing that we are made wonderfully and yet we are also, we fall short. And I think that that's something that some, I feel like there's two spectrums. There's either one that's like, yeah, I fall short, way short, and there's no way that God can love me. And then there's the others that are like, yeah, it's short, but it's also really small and I can kind of work my way out of it. And so yeah. I can really kind of do my own thing. So how do both of y'all navigate just even, even those spectrums and just this idea of recognizing that, yes, you are fallen, fallen but how do you practically just um, even just move into the next stage, which is this concept of redemption and recognizing that you are not defined. Your identity and your worth is not found in what you've done. JD, you mentioned that earlier, Mm -hmm. but just how do you, 
you know, as we all are sinners and we all continue to sin and yet are striving just to uh, not only live with that, but just seek redemption in all that. What are some ways that y'all have seen that just practically in, in your lives? I can think of Encounter Retreat, um, my freshman year of college that taught me uh, not only the importance of confessing sin, but also the power that comes with it, the healing agent that is living in the light and keeping a short list. And so I think for both, when you confess the little things soon, quickly to another person, to God for sure, he, he listens to you and he forgives you. But James teaches us that when we confess our sins to one another, that's when we are healed. So when you practice confession in the little things, then when the bigger things come, you've already done the hard work of establishing those lines of mm. communication and trust with somebody else. So you can go to somebody else and say, hey, we've been talking about these little things, but I got this big thing right now that, that I'm struggling with. My mind is drifting. I've, I have I now sense uh, my, my, my being being attracted to this one thing, this idol. And immediately what we are saying by confessing is that that's not who we are. And, and we're yeah. recognizing that Jesus came to save us from those very things. So communication with someone that you trust uh, in a community group, that's a great place to pull somebody aside before or after group and say, hey, this is uh, bugging me. This is something that I'm dealing with. We're all on the same playing field. So that's yeah. important yeah. to recognize. We're all Imago Dei. We're all created in the image of God and none of us are God. Only Jesus, Colossians 1 teaches us that. Um, so yeah, practicing that I think is, is, is important. I have to confess I'm a bit of a church history nerd and there was a conflict in the mid 400s AD between a guy named Pelagius and a guy named Augustine and Pelagius it's, it's really shaped the Celtic Christianity still to this day. Well, Pelagius believed in, uh, human, the essence of human goodness mm -hmm. in the soul. And that original sin does not necessarily affect uh, a human being. And he really relied on Matthew 5, where, he's, where Jesus says, be perfect, therefore, as your father, your heavenly father is perfect. And he believed that Jesus was teaching in that moment that we have the ability to attain perfection yes. in this life. And Augustine came in and argued that uh, for basically, uh, to make a long story short, human depravity, that original sin infected the human soul. And so when we are born, we are inherently uh, sinful human beings. And really his main deal and the purpose in me saying this is that what he pointed to Pelagian uh, like methodology and said is, if you believe that you can be perfect on your own, then that negates the supernatural grace of Christ. That Christ died for nothing if you believe that you can attain perfection on your own. And so for me, that's where I go of like the fallen nature, that is an inherent part of human life. But what it demonstrates for us is our abject, abject need yeah. for Jesus. And that's really where we see the outworking of God's plan for redemption of all humankind come in the person of Jesus. And that's the significance of that. Mm -hmm. That's so good. And I think not only do we need Jesus, but he answers that and he loves us. Mm -hmm. And that's the whole yeah. gospel that we're sharing and, and, and looking at. And just this concept of redemption. Jose, your third point here was just the idea that Jesus came for you. He came for me and he came for others as well. And so I think, again, kind of a similar concept here that something that we may hear and it's like, okay, 
you say that, you say that Jesus came for me, like individually for me, but I have a really hard time believing that because of the sin that I've done, because of the past that I've had, because I haven't talked to God in a few weeks or months or maybe years. And so how do you kind of counsel someone that's in that boat that's just like, I can I can see that, but but really what does that actually look like? Or how do you remind yourselves of just that truth that he really did come for you and for me? <laughs> You're asking really hard and good <laughs> questions. Um, I would say one step at a time. For every person, it's one step at a time. And it is not our doing, but it's God drawing us near that really shows us who we are in him. Um, we are created, all of us, in his image. We fall short. That's every person. Mm-hmm. And then... Some choose to believe that Jesus came to save them. Others don't. And the cool thing that I find from this passage and and this worldview is that God doesn't force anyone to do anything. Mm. There there is no, my, you missed missed the boat. You know, I mean, the, the bottom line is if people do not confess Jesus, they will have to answer to their sin. They don't believe that Jesus paid the price for their sin. And, and so when he comes back to judge, man, that, that's, that's, that's thinking for myself, <laughs> it's impossible. There's no way that I'd be able to right my wrongs. And so we're all on a journey to get to know Jesus better. And I think wherever people are, if they're figuring out um, who Jesus is, the more we read about him in the Gospels, the more we uh, come to church and, and hear about the hope that we have in Jesus, the more we share with the community group, listen to other real life stories of transformation, um, the more the Father will continue to draw us near. So I, I think it really is one step at a time. Mm-hmm. I also point back to, again, we live in a performance-based society, so it's really hard to accept that there is a God who loves us outside of our ability to perform. There's no other love in this world that is that unconditional. And so oftentimes we struggle with the idea that he could possibly love me because we see our own sin. We see all of our own stuff. And it's like, that is impossible that he paid for all of that. And I think that that oftentimes comes down to a misrepresentation of who God is. We see God as this distant, far off uh, creator who just sits on the throne and judges. And we know that God will judge, but what we Uh, don't take into account when we view God in that way is that God is an intimate and personal God who wants relationship with you, that he broke into time and space in order to create a way back to right relationship. Mm -hmm. And so that demonstrates so uh, so much more that he is not interested in just condemning us, but he wants, with everything in him, he wants us to come back to him. And it's not ever going to be based on our performance. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so good. I think even just something came to mind just now is even just praying that God would show you that I think yeah. is something that mm. I think about because sadly, whether it's through your upbringing, through your parents or the relationships you have around you, it's like in that same way, it's like, it's very hard to find models of, of truly unconditional love in our mm-hmm. lives. And so just even asking God, hey, show me, like I, I want, I know that's true and I, I want to yeah. believe that's true, but show me ways in which mm-hmm. you love me unconditionally that I can feel it, that I, it's life-changing. So I think, yeah, that's that's really good stuff here. Okay, so we got the last one. Number four, that's restoration. Jose, I'd love for you to unpack this a little bit. You had, you said you are for Forever and others are forever. So how does that help us as far as putting into this whole 
um, creation, fall, redemption, and now restoration, all of that fit into this uh, biblical worldview. Yeah, so yesterday I pointed to it. It gives us hope when things don't go our way, when we experience tragedy, when um, we see things down here that aren't supposed to happen well we recognize that this is not home. So we have forever to look forward to when we are in Christ. And then for those that are not in Christ, it, I think, compels us to go and share and be that agape love um, in action, to see others the way that God sees them, because that is the reality that we believe as Christians, that Jesus came and he will come back, and he will come back to judge. And um, that that that's it. And then he will bring about a new heaven and a new earth, and that's forever. So if I were to paint the, the gloomy picture of that is that we will live forever either with Christ or absent from his love. Mm-hmm. And that's why we have to see others the way that God sees them. Yeah, that's a perfect segue because so far a lot of the questions uh, have intentionally I've wanted to ask you all focus on just kind of inwardly and just taking these truths that we heard on Sunday and applying it and really letting it uh, rest in our hearts. But every point of this was that you had was connected to the way we see other people. And uh, I love one of the community group questions for this week. So I wanted to ask both of y'all this as far as what keeps you from seeing others as people made in the image of God? Because this whole series we're talking about, yes, if I'm getting down this concept that I'm made in the image of God, others are as well. But yet, at least in my experience, I don't always live and love people in light of of that truth. And so what are maybe some ways that, uh, or what are things that keep y'all from seeing others the way that they're made in the image of God? I want to reserve the right to judge people. <laughs> um, like in my basic human sinfulness, I want to be able to proclaim clean and unclean, worthy and unworthy. And in doing so, gosh, this actually played out. Paulina and I talked about this this past week when we were doing outreach on the Texas State campus and we're just (laughs) handing out cards to people. We're not necessarily on on the spot trying to evangelize to every person who walks by. We're simply inviting them to come to Crosstalk. And as we are doing so, Paulina and I both remarked that we are predetermining who might be willing to come and who wouldn't. Yeah. We have already decided in our minds that this is yeah, this that guy this guy come. would never yeah. this guy would never come to crosstalk. Yeah. But that guy looks like he might come, and so I'm going to hand him yeah. a card. I'm determining for myself whether somebody is has an open heart and a receptive heart to Jesus, and it kills me inside because it is evaluating people on superficial characteristics, how you, how they're dressed, it's how they carry themselves, it's how they rejected the pamphlet to the Texas State football game from the guy down the way, so I don't want to give him a card right. because my own insecurities tell me that he's going to reject, reject me you. too. <laughs> and so it's all in, in large part, my judgment is a result of my own insecurities about myself. And that's really what keeps me from seeing other people is either I want to condemn somebody or I want, because I want to feel more worthy than them, or I feel unworthy. And so I want to degrade somebody who feels more worthy than me. And that's the, the paradigm that I get myself caught in. That's so good. It's the difference between, uh, me being at the center mm-hmm. and you being at the center yeah, of 100%. So when I'm me centered, I think about, well, where, where am I in, in, uh, 
perspective. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm more educated. I've, I've been following Jesus longer. I, you know, I know more. Um, I, I can teach here. Uh, well, what's mm-hmm. the posture that Jesus took? Yeah. He was the king and yet he came to serve. So he came to show us that the true way to live is by focusing on others first, by considering mm-hmm. others higher than we consider ourselves really challenging because we're selfish human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, we are trying to create in a way, um, this Imago Dei, we're, we're flipping it upside down. We're saying that truly we're actually gods um, and, and we don't represent any one God or we're all individuals. It's, we live in a very individualistic culture. So that's the tension is, am I living for me or am I living um, for the Lord as I serve others? That's so good and a great way to cap things off. Jose, give you the final word as always, as far as not only summing up this message, but even looking ahead to the yeah, series. This, so this biblical worldview, I think is important to recognize. Uh, I mentioned this yesterday's, most of us probably know that this is the storyline of the Bible, but it's also important to share. The Bible is about the creation narrative, that God made us in his image, that we uh, fell, that we, we fell short of God's glorious standards, but God made a way. Jesus came for us and we will live forever. There's going to be a day where he's going to restore all things. And so I hope that encourages us to uh, live as ones being made in the image of God. And I'm excited uh, to see what we go with this. All right. Hey, thanks everybody for listening to the Conversations podcast. If you have any questions that you want us to answer on the podcast, you can email us conversations at cypresscreekchurch.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast. Thanks for being here again, everybody. It was awesome. That's it for this version of the podcast. We will see you guys next time.